Welcome to Leadership Mindset, the podcast where we uncover the hidden gems of sales and business leadership. In each episode, our goal is bring you up close and personal with the world's most accomplished business leaders. We explore their experiences, motivations, inspirations, and the challenges they've conquered on their way to the top. Grab a coffee, a notebook, and pen, and enjoy the conversation with today's guest, Daniel Desmond. Daniel Desmond, you're very welcome to the podcast. Well, delighted to be here. Uh, it's a privilege to uh, get an opportunity to speak to you on this fantastically sunny day today. Thank you for the invitation. Daniel, maybe you could start a little bit. I'd love to, to understand your story a little bit better. I've seen on your career on LinkedIn, but maybe you go back a little bit further and share with me where you grew up and talk to me a little bit about what that childhood was like. Yeah. So I grew up in North County Dublin, Swords, was where I was born. And my dad was originally born in Swords, so he came from a big family, a family of 10, four brothers and five sisters. And then I was born in Swords. So interesting story. My, my mother was originally from India. So her parents, they emigrated from Gujarat across to a place called Tanzania, and that's where she was born. She, in when she was 16, there was a lot of political trouble in Tanzania at the time. This has been the the kind of mid-60s, she was wanted to go and learn how to speak English. So she had two older sisters, and both of those sisters said, we've heard of this place called England, so we'll go and we'll go to England. And she ended up meeting a, a concerned aid worker who was working out in Tanzania at the time. And they said, hey, listen, why don't you come to Ireland? It's a lovely spot, and we speak English here. Um, and so she said, okay. And at 16 years of age, she packed herself up and moved all the way across to Ireland, settled with a family living over in Hoth, and ended up going to Mount Temple School, which of course is where Bono went as well. So very challenging and a huge sort of difference for her, right? Moving all the way across from, from Tanzania to Ireland at that time. Stayed here and to make a long story short, she ended up meeting my dad and then he made the long journey across to Tanzania to meet her her dad and ask him for her hand in marriage. And it's a very funny story, but he said he it took him a while to, to get him eventually to sit down and ask the question. He said yes. And my mother's She's lived in Ireland since she moved here, so for the rest of her life. So growing up in, in North Kent, Dublin, obviously half Indian, half Irish. It was definitely Ireland in the 80s was, was a different place and probably not as diverse and inclusive as we are today. Yeah, it was an interesting upbringing and we grew up in, in the country. How did that manifest itself for you? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, school was challenging at times and just in terms of trying to make your mark. Right? And I guess I never really felt that I was different to anybody else. And obviously your close friends would understand who you were, but those that obviously were on the fringes could be challenging at times. So I think it's certainly as I got through 80s into 90s and then I had a great opportunity to move to Australia and then I first noticed when I came back from Australia I just went this is a very different country it's just much more diverse with a lot more immigration coming in which thankfully we've continued to see and Ireland is what it is today it's a much more multicultural much more diverse Mm. country Uh, but certainly I remember landing in Sydney and Bondi in 2000 thinking to myself wow this is amazing it was a melting pot of cultures and just a real assault Mm. to the senses which I just hadn't had growing up. It's funny you should say that. I was in London only a few days ago, and I know Ireland has come on a lot, but it's still in the halfpenny place compared with London. I've never seen yeah. anything like it. I've been to London many times, but it's just a, it's again, it's just a reminder of what a real meta- metropolitan system can be like. 
But I'm curious to know a little bit more about your mother, if you don't mind me, because to me yeah. it's extraordinary for somebody at the age of 16. I know when my kids were 16, you wouldn't let them go to the shops, <laughs> let alone go across the world and start a new life. Yeah. Talk to me about the her character, and what I'd love to understand is what character traits of hers you've inherited. Yeah, so, you know, and for her moving across, right, obviously massively challenging. She would have spoken English, but again, Ireland, I can only imagine what it was like in the 60s. Mm. A, a very different place to what it was in the 80s and then certainly what it is now. She said she just, she always felt welcome when she came over here. She basically ended up working as an au pair for a family in Hoth. She finished off fifth and sixth year in Mount Temple. She got a scholarship then to go and, and do her further education. She said they were a wonderful family, like really looked after her, very warm. She was always somebody that was very independent worked basically when we were younger growing up so my dad worked in the IDA which kind of gave me and I'll tell you about that in a minute which kind of gave me the initial I guess I was able to see what sales was about my mother worked all the time when we were at home so she was an accountant she worked for herself so I guess that sort of independence of being able to work for yourself but also resilience and she's just a very open Person. So I guess what that's given me is just that sense of openness. And maybe that's because she came here and she felt welcomed into Ireland. She was very open, regardless of who I ever brought back to the house or whatever friends came in or my you know, my brother's friends or family's friends. She was just always very open, very welcoming, very a good sense of adventure and, and getting up and going after things. So giving you a strong work ethic and a sense of perspective and courage. Yeah. yeah. Because I do see that, it's like when you have somebody like that you look up to, it does influence you heavily in terms of some of those traits. I noticed from your CV, Daniel, that you were working in inside sales long before it seemed like inside sales was a thing in Ireland. Yeah. Talk to me about how you, met, how you got into that. That is a very funny story. When I was very young, I don't know, maybe I was 15, I was on the street selling lines for Liffey Trust. So you go around and you were selling lines. So I, I did that in between, say, fourth year and fifth year. And then I left school, went to Dundalk College for a year, did a year in Dundalk, I was doing business studies in French. And yeah, that, that didn't really work out as well for me as I would have hoped. And so I wanted to get out and get working. And so through the summer when I finished in Dundalk, I got a job with a, with a company, I won't mention their name, but basically the job was, it was outbound phone sales and it was kind of like boiler room stuff. So I was working in Eden Key in an office, we had a chalkboard up, we had a bell and the goal of the job was to book an appointment for a quantity surveyor who would go down and measure a building and measure them for their rates. Every building has rates and they would say, we'll measure your building, but we think we can help reduce your rates bill. So every time I booked an appointment, I got a tenner, I think it was a very small basic. And somehow after selling the lines, I didn't have a problem speaking to people. You'd go in and they'd give you the phone book and it was like ring Wicklow, golden pages. So you're just going through business after business, just ringing, smiling and dialing. And I did that for three months through the whole summer and actually started making a bit of money out of it and thought, I've got something here that I like doing and I'm also good at it. And then Gateway Computers had opened up close to me on the north side of Dublin and I was like my dad was like Gateway that's a that'd be a great place to get a job US multinational they look after you they give you the training and he'd been on the receiving end of bringing in a lot of the US multinationals through his role in the IDA 
So I applied for a job. I was customer service in French, did an interview, didn't get it. Went back, applied for another job, didn't get it. Third time lucky, got a job. And the interviewer was like, sell me this pen. <laughs> oh, Wolf of Wall oh, Street. <laughs> now, anyway, I had enough to be able to sell the pen and got offered the role and started in January 1996 in sales, in inside sales in Gateway. And the significant difference in there, this is why I think sales is all about frame of reference was that when I joined Gateway, it was inbound. So they had a machine which was going, so publications in the UK and magazines and all that, that was driving in inbound phone calls into a phone queue. And then you had to answer the queue and do what you needed to do to sell the computers. And so very quickly, I started to excel at this and just really love the training, really structured three weeks. This was unheard of, right? 1996, I remember it was £7,500 was my basic plus whatever the commission on top, which was getting me to, to 10K, I think. Three weeks of training. You didn't get on the phone to speak to a customer until you'd finished three weeks. You were doing role plays. You were doing product training. This was really unbelievable stuff. And they just prepped you very well. And when you got on the phone, then you were able to do the job. But there was people who were in my team and we were a Tuesday to Saturday team. So we were Tuesday to Saturday. Saturday was great, a little bit more relaxed. You just make a lot of sales. But the, there was people on the team who'd never been in sales before and they were struggling. And, and at the end of the month, we'd get our bonuses and somebody could be making 2K in a bonus and somebody could be getting 200. I was like, why is that? We're all getting the same training. We're all getting the same amount of support. We're all doing the same job. We've all got the same opportunity. And it was just frame of reference. Some people had worked in areas where it was more difficult, like me, in outbound sales. So I flipped into inbound and I thought it was really simple. And some people had never worked in sales before and they thought it was really difficult. And I just found that fascinating. And I see it today in inside sales today where we have people that start in inbound and then they move into outbound and they've got the training and they've got the skill set or we hire people in typically who have overcome adversity or they've had some challenge in their life that can be business it can be personal and those people when they get into a sales role tend to do better than other people in my experience interesting so you're actually you're gating for resilience in your hiring process Hugely, yeah, hugely. It's one of the, I think I might have heard of 150, 200 people now at this stage over, over the last 10 years. And I'm very fortunate to be able to see the people who do well in the role and then build their careers and do well in their next role and move into an account manager and then move into an SDR leader. But those that do well in that SDR role, they definitely have, they've overcome resilience. And we hired a person in before who'd got a hotel background and was working in hotel industry very challenging high volume high output high energy to get any sales and then came across in, into SDR where we were working selling software took a couple of months to adapt and then just excelled I took a person in before who was working in recruitment so you see people who've worked in recruitment again really high energy high outbound and they're just able to deal with the negativity to deal with the no they don't let it they don't let it deflate them too much they're able to shake it off and just get back up and go again and continually refine the process so yeah um, people who overcome resilience is that getting easier or harder to find people with the level of resilience required yeah, no I, th I don't think so typically what i look for is i look for people who've worked through college right so I'm sh I'm, it's showing me something where they've got 
they can prioritize because I've got to study and work. Mm. I'm able, I'm flexible, so I've got to be able to be adaptable and flexible. And certainly that, that can be challenging, especially when it comes to crunch time. I've got to deliver a project for school, but I've got a, I've got a work commitment that I need to meet as well. Mm. What they do is not as relevant. Sometimes we pick people up who it could be I've worked in a shoe shop or I've worked in a people that have worked in frontline, worked in a bar or in their local GAA club or something like that, or where you've got to deal with customers, happy customers, mm. irate customers. You've got to figure yeah. out how to work with people. So generally, if we can identify people who've done that, again, it's showing me that they're more likely to succeed. It's not saying that other people won't, but just these sure. people tend to do yeah. better. Yeah, the one you see a lot as well, and I, it was in what you said earlier about your story, it's the idea of selling for people who listen to this who don't understand what a line is. It's when you're, yeah, you're getting somebody to give you their name and address, a few quid for. Yeah. It's often a charity or for a draw or a raffle or something like that. Yeah. But you, it's the ask and the rejection, and the willingness to do that, and you often see that it's either that or somebody turning a few quid, selling stuff secondhand, setting up a little stall. But yeah. But under. Yeah, and where you don't see that, I often think it's a huge red flag. Like you said, it doesn't mean that they're not going to work out, but certainly it's a red flag. Would be a red flag for me anyway. Yeah, it's, it's a funny one. I don't think anybody even still puts their hand up and puts sales on their CAO form. No, I, I certainly fell into sales. I've listened to a lot of the podcasts and the people that are on here, and a lot of people they just fall into it. Right? It's not something that you're in college going right. I want to I want to build a career in sales. I definitely think that over mm. the last ten or fifteen years, there is much more opportunity in in Dublin and in Ireland to build a career in inside sales with obviously the likes of the inside sales companies. But when I started in '96, it was inbound sales or inside, and then it was field sales and then enterprise yep. sales, and that was the mm. graduation path. And that's what I did. I did did my time in Gateway. Then mm. I worked in, a, in another company, Software Spectrum, sold some licensing software. And then I worked in another company mm. who were a Citrix Platinum partner and I was selling software, hardware and consultancy services. So the full wrapper to enterprise clients. So that was my career path. But at that time, if there had been an inside sales model where you could move inside seller, account manager, and then manager and continue moving up your career, I probably would have stayed doing that, but that just wasn't available. So I think we've got a lot more opportunity now. Talk to me about your leadership transition, what that was like and the key lessons you learned in going from individual contributor to managing a team. Yeah, that's a good one. And that is a challenge. That's definitely, you've got to you know, think differently about how you do things. So the way it evolved for me and can be different for every person is I worked, as I said, in inside individual contributor roles probably for about 10 years. In 2008, I had an opportunity to co-found a business and co-founded a business with my wife at the time called Travel Affiliate, an affiliate marketing company. And I felt... I had the skills because I was building businesses for other people. That's the one thing I love about sales. As an individual contributor, you're building a business. I think about it like, but you're operating in a franchise, right? We're giving you all the tools. We're giving you the product. We're giving you the support. But you ultimately are building your own business. You're working for yourself. You're setting your own hours normally. You're out and you've got a number to do and go and deliver. And it's quite autonomous. And I loved that about working in the as an individual contributor. 
flip over into then setting up my business, which is the reason, a continuation of that going, can I build a business for myself? And got into managing a couple of people as part of that process. So we had a tech developer, we had, I had one person who was helping me on the sales side, we had one person who was working in accounts, and all of a sudden now we had a team of five or six people and leading a team and trying to pull this team together and have everyone going in the right direction was the first kind of real flash for me of wow I actually really enjoy this yes I'm doing work and we're working as a team and we're delivering outsized results as a result of everyone working together versus what I could do on my own so that business closed down in in 2010 but that got me the hunger for leadership so I need to learn more about that so I I did a coaching course because I wanted to learn more about how to coach and mentor and then I had an opportunity to set up a HQ of a US multinational in 2012 and my experience obviously looked like a good fit because I'd set up my prior company. They asked me to come in and take on the head of sales role and set up the initial founding team. So I came in there, hired six people in sales capacity, hired another six people. We had a couple of managers and started building out this team. I have to say a huge amount of fun and then started building in across functional teams. We needed some other functions to come in. And I guess that's where my leadership was exposed, if you will. I hadn't got the experience of really leading a cross-functional team. And so my skill set was in sales and I came up through that sales vertical, was working well with the managers who were then managing the team and had got that. But my real kind of gap was cross-functional. So these are people, they don't report into you, right? So you're trying to, how do I create a team dynamic, right? Where everyone is working harmoniously together, where there's a lot of challenges, right? There's a lot of friction between CS and sales and operations and sales. And I just was really struggling with that. So anyway, we did a great job in the numbers, managed to grow the business from zero to 10 million over 24 months and then moved on from that company. But I realized I had to go and figure out a little bit more about what is leadership and not only what is leadership, but basically who am I as a leader and what's my leadership style and how can I use the best bits of me to help create these cross-functional teams. So I went down the path of IMI, so I who you probably know. Yeah, I'm doing well. Initially started off doing a diploma in management. I said, I'll start with this and I'll do one and see how it goes. And it was called the Fundamentals in Management. So that was great Mm -hmm. learning. And then the next diploma I did was a diploma in leadership. So it was purely just a diploma in leadership, very focused on yourself, very focused on your own style, self-awareness, emotional intelligence, really just trying to understand me as an individual and what are my strengths and what are my weaknesses and how can I leverage my strengths, be myself, be authentic and then and lead a team. And when I completed leadership, we had a weekend away in Killary to they do a kind of a, an action a leadership nice place. action they call yeah. it. They split us into groups and we had to lead people and be led and it was really eye opening. But the key takeaway for me from that was you don't need to be an expert in the specific topic that you're leading in, right? You just need to know how to build a team and get everyone focused on the outcome. What is the outcome? What is the end goal that we need to achieve here? And then it's harnessing the strengths of the individuals to pull that together. Whereas before when I was leading people, I always used to default to my expertise in sales and feel that I, I don't know anything about that, so I couldn't lead them in that. How could I lead somebody in that particular area because I know nothing about it? And so that was a big takeaway. And then I rounded off the final diploma, which was organizational behavior about building organizations and all the different dynamics that go into that. 
What you said about leadership there a moment ago, about you don't have to be the expert, it's about pulling resources together towards a goal. Could you say the same about sales? Yeah, absolutely. I think the role of your certainly enterprise account executive, I believe now is a quarterback role, right? So they're pulling together a wide group of additional people to help support. So in my at Qualtrics, you would have, you could have a solution advisory team, you could have a technical sales team, you could have the, you're going to have the deal desk team, you're going to have the customer success. There is a wide set of people that will come around and influence and help you get your deal over the line. Your primary responsibility obviously is managing your customer to make sure that, and not just this singular person, but there's multiple people on, on, on that, but then also doing all the coordination in at the back end to pull all that together. So yeah, it's really, it takes a village now to close a, a large enterprise deal. Even as you go down into mid-market, okay, maybe SMB, it's a bit more one-to-one. It's me with MD or me with owner of business. But as I start to move up, it's multi-threaded and multifunctional. Yeah, I think the, definitely at that enterprise level, it's a big team of people in. I think you've just given me the title for a great book about enterprise selling. It takes a village. It, it great does, title for it. It yeah. does now. Yeah, it does now. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. we see it, those large deals that get closed, there's a huge amount of people that you've got to manage in the back end to ensure that we, we can close a deal. Yeah. Did I talk to you about the question wheel? No. I think we might take one. So I have a little wheel here with okay. 20 questions on it. And so we might randomly spin the wheel. And so the question was, what have you learned about yourself in the past? It says in the past year, but you know, take that past, the recent past. The recent past. What have I learned about myself? So much has happened in the Ooh, past three years um, anyway. Yeah, so I suppose I've been through a transition on the most recent past. So I finished up with my prior role, which was Qualtrics in March, and I've been in a transitionary period in the process of searching for a new role. And I think that when that happened, I was definitely going through the Kubler-Ross grief curve. Right? So denial, bargaining, and then mm. moving on, and, mm. and depression, and kind of all of the layers. And... And what I've realized in the last three months is that I'm more than my job title. So I am a husband to my wife. I am a father to my two daughters, a brother. And it's really, and also that I just have a huge amount of supporters out there if I look for them. And so I think what's really important is not to close down and not to mm. get too inward focused, which can happen when something like that happens. Mm. It does for me. And it is to to make sure that I'm reaching out to people and, and every single of just honestly, the support that I've had over the last three to six months has been incredible. I have people messaging me every couple of days, once a week. How are you? How's things? Is there anything I can do? Can I help? Oh, reach out to somebody. I need some help with this. Every, they're just people are there to help. And I think that's been just I'm hugely grateful for that, mm. but it's also something that, that I could have missed if I had have just stayed 
I guess, closed and put my head down. Yeah, listen, I've realised I'm more than more than my title and I've had, and it's been an amazing time of getting to spend some quality time with family, friends, doing things that I wouldn't have been able to do otherwise to really grasp that opportunity. And then also that I'm, I'm resilient and yeah. continue to just put, keep going forward and just hope that good things will happen. Yeah, it's interesting in that you probably wouldn't have chosen it but you've got something out of it that you could never learn from a book. It's something that you have to go through to realize that what's special about life is the people we have around us and the support networks. And then also realizing, I think it's a really powerful one, is that we're not our jobs. That's just a part of our life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, listen, there's, as we know, there's a lot of layoffs going on at the moment. A lot of people that are finding themselves in situations that they couldn't have really imagined that they'd find themselves in this year when they were coming through the new year. Um, I've been incredibly lucky. I think there is a lot of support for anybody that's going through that at the moment. I guess what I'd say is don't be afraid to reach out for help. So certainly I did. I leveraged my employee assistance program. I managed to get a counsellor, a fantastic woman who basically I had six great sessions with over a period of about eight weeks. And that kind of really helped me just internalize and digest and move forward in a positive yeah. manner so again i guess just for anybody listening to this who finds himself in a in a kind of similar situation it's don't be afraid to reach out don't be afraid to ask for help everybody out there then you're in your network wants to help and support and certainly i've just been very lucky yeah. myself that's wonderful advice tell me daniel who inspires you yeah listen i think I talked about my mother, so obviously she's a massive inspiration. I left home at 25 to go to Australia. The thought of leaving home at 16, you know, just, it just is, it's incredible. And actually, I was so lucky. In 2010, I did a concern challenge cycle and managed to get down to Tanga to get to see where my mother was born. So got to go around Moshi Arusha and then go all the way down there. Mm. And certainly that was an eye opener in terms of her kind of area and where she grew up and what's going on down there and in comparison to anything and any challenges that you think we might have in Ireland. Yeah, my mother and I think my dad as well, he worked for 25 years in the IDA. He was selling Ireland, going out basically to the US and selling Ireland to the multinationals. And I guess that's where I first saw sales happen when he'd be out on a project. Mm. He'd be telling us about this business that was coming into Ireland, American Airlines, Hertz. There's a number of them that are still here today that he was instrumental in his team and basically bringing them into Ireland, bringing them around, showing them all the locations and getting them set up here. And they've employed thousands of people in Ireland. Mm. And I've been very lucky to work for a number of US multinationals in my career. So yeah, my dad as well. Very good. I want to talk to you a little bit about AI, if you don't mind. Yes. I don't know. Maybe I should ask you, first of all, is how, how much have you embraced it in terms of trying to understand it? And what I really want to go then, assuming that's the affirmative, is how do you, where are the opportunities and threats for the role of a sales leader, uh, role of sales in general, with what you're seeing? Yeah, I suppose my lens is definitely on the sales development side, right? So that's what my most recent kind of experience is. And so I've been very interested in trying to understand how can it be leveraged by the SDR to help them be more efficient in their role. So mm. I guess an SDR spends a lot of time in my observation doing 
well, let's call it data admin, for want of a better word. Right? Mm. So they're trying to identify contacts on, on, on Sales Navigator that might be good contacts to go and reach. They then need to use a third-party tool to figure out how to get an email address. They then need to use another tool to figure out how to get a phone number. We then need to get that. We've got the automation happening now from an email mm. prospecting basis. I heard one of your previous talkers talking about outreach and their sales loft and a number of other mm. tools, which... We've only come in probably in the last five years, but have made a massive step change in terms of the efficiency of the SDR. When you think about how they would have done it before, which was sending emails through Outlook or mm. Gmail and no sequences. And it's unimaginable, sure, yeah, really, yeah. right? When you think about it, yeah. it's so labor intensive, or maybe we did yeah. a mass mail merge or something to, to now. And I think that AI is, that's where I see the the AI helping the SDR that as we start to get because those tools there's a lot of vendors out there are figuring out how to integrate AI into their tool to make it mm. faster and more efficient we'll still need to use yeah. a number of tools but what that could do is just reduce the time it takes from I don't know is it was it two hours a week is it five hours a week for me an SDR's best most valuable use of time is on the phone speaking to a prospective buyer anything else that an SDR does is not really a good use of their time but there is a lot of other stuff that they do right because there is nobody else in the company who can have a conversation with a prospective buyer to convince them to have the next meeting right that that job is the SDR's job and so if we can help the SDRs get more time on the phone speaking with prospective buyers that will increase velocity and increase productivity have you had them do any role plays with ChatGPT, for example? No, have not done that. I've been using ChatGPT myself quite a bit, but I haven't done any role plays. You've got to do that, Dan. You've got to do that. Wow. I'm telling you, it blew my mind. I did it last week, and I right. just asked it. I told Chat that you are a buyer in this type of organization, and I wanted it to create a scenario, realistic role play scenario, and I was going to play sales. Yeah. And my, I was just, I was so blown away by the realism of the role play. And bearing in mind, for the past twenty years, I have done probably thousands of role plays yeah. in classrooms with people live. And so you, you, there's always that element of you know, you're being tested all the yeah. time. And I felt really tested with this. I was so blown away with it. I literally cut and pasted it. I didn't change as much as a full stop or a comma. And I put it up on LinkedIn. Wow. And got quite a few comments on it as well by people saying the same thing, that this is incredibly realistic. And a few people made the observation as well that it would be great where you... And I, 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 I let me step back a little bit. I only did a very cursory role play. I didn't develop the character of the buyer that yeah. much. I didn't say, what I could have said, I'm thinking now is I could have said, you are a high D personality who's having a bad day, yeah. for example. <laughs> Real world stuff. Yeah. Or you're dealing with somebody who, what we call, the, the, they're a high C personality. They're very detailed and process yeah. driven. And they, where people are different, we often struggle. And to be able to set those role plays up. And oh, I also asked it to evaluate the role play which it did that was just they just nailed it and wow. i thought what a wonderful tool to be able to do that and as a team be able to share the different prompts and say look this is a role and or you get off the phone with a prospect and it didn't go so well well let's try and reproduce that and see what I could have done better. Because there's one thing to be able to say, oh, I'll know what to do the next time. Mm. But unless you role play, yeah. 
Uh, and people often hate role playing in front of their colleagues. But here's a way you can go away. You can do it at home if you want to. Wow. And then you can share the evaluation with your manager. And then you can go do it again and again. And it's just the time saver. See, I'm, but I'm also just in time learning. I think that, so that those scenarios will just be built into a software tool. That's what I think is going to happen. So you think Microsoft now are bringing out so their new Bing search engine that's going to have ChatGPT integrated into it, right? So you think about there, there is tools out there before which would have listened to one side of the conversation and then give you a prompt in mm. terms of how to get on. So I think that those types of technology will figure out how to integrate the AI into their tool to just to keep it so you won't have to have an individual going off using chat GPT by themselves. I think their, their mm. companies will figure out how to leverage the technology to just help us all do things faster and quicker. Because if I think about the, the existential threat for an SDR, right, if we get to a point, I don't think we're going to replace SDRs. I think sales is human, right? And so people buy from people. It's not going to change, I don't think, in the near term. However, if you have a team and it's a large team of SDRs and now those SDRs are more efficient, do we need to have as many SDRs or salespeople as we did before? So potentially, right, there, there's, there could be where we now are streamlining as we're heading into a kind of tighter macroeconomic environments, right? There's definitely a lot of it's productivity per individual, right? From top to bottom yep. in the organization. And how can we get everybody, if everybody could get one more IQM and then that means X number of opportunities and Y number of pipeline at the end of it, right? That's driving the efficiencies that I think businesses will be looking for as we go forward. And I think that that is where AI will help to, to continue to increase efficiencies. But yeah, I'm not seeing... SDR is being yeah. disintermediated by chatbots yet. No, it won't be. It'll, it, it's an assistant. But what I think the effect it will have certainly on sales leadership, it'll be so instead of having maybe a, a reporting ratio of seven to one, it might be 14 to one, 15 to one, yeah. because there's so many aspects. Now, I've been looking at this, excuse me, <clears throat> hiring your first interview with somebody could be entirely via AI. Yeah. And you get an evaluation report because you know there's certain things you're looking for. And, and that, that saves the amount of time. You could run and I'd imagine I haven't done this, but I can imagine you could schedule, run and follow up on a sales forecasting call purely through AI. Oh, yeah. It doesn't mean you're not part of the process. But in terms of an assistant, a performance review where it's able to go and grab all of the call recordings and the reports, yep. meet the sales reviews, all of those things, and give you a kind of a sentiment analysis or an attitudinal analysis yep. of the rep over time as well, how that's changed. It's just phenomenal. And I, there's actually a company, I saw them in Germany, where they're now an older step beyond call intelligence, which would give you, here's how much talk time you had, and you asked so many questions, and they asked so many questions. And yep. it gave that to the manager to talk to the rep, now the tool gives the feedback directly to the rep. Yeah, it's, it's able to give advice, it's able to coach. It'll be yeah. as organizations so, have their own version of AI, which is not scanning the internet, but scanning whatever data we have stored in the cloud. So you think about Chorus or those tools that kind of capture phone calls or Gong, or I just think, I think that's where it's going to be really interesting to see this time next year, what those companies can do where, hey, you have this data set of all these calls that your reps have made and we can analyze that, right, and continue to give you feedback and rank the calls and just do probably more stuff, a lot more than yeah. we do today. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's certainly, listen, yeah. it's a brave new world. There, there's still a lot of people who haven't really ventured in. I do think that's the quality of your prompt is gets back the information. And certainly a lot of what I've seen, it's around quality of the prompt that you put in, gives you the feedback back. But I think as we all start to get to use it more and it becomes just more how we do things. Yeah, you're actually, ideas. that's an interesting one because you're absolutely right. The quality, but the quality, of the, the prompt is only an output of our own in thinking, thinking process yeah. so if we don't know what we're looking for we're just going to steal prompts and that's going to be no different from people taking not stealing but bar- taking templates for emails yeah. from colleagues it's completely missing the point of being able to critically analyze a situation and come up with something that's customized mm. to a particular prospect so i think that mistake is going to be made my concern about the the capture of AI by certain vendors is that it'll be they'll try to make it a closed system. It'll be so whereas it prompts you, yeah, because they'll want to sell you their IP. Yeah. yeah. And one one of the things is, IP for a lot of companies is gone. They no longer have it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For companies traditionally who have operated on the basis of IP, and protected copyrights and trademarks and so on. That's gone by the wayside. There's no question about it. I did that recently and I asked it for this particular, to describe this particular technique, which would be trademarked by a sales training company. And it described it perfectly. Really? But it didn't give any attribution to the company. None whatsoever. That's scary. But anyhow, we'll see how that one plays out. It's going to to be an interesting ride, that's for sure. Tell me, just a couple more questions, Dan, because I'm just conscious of your time. I wanted to ask you a little bit about what's yeah what you're doing currently and i know you're going into a new role and that's not publicly announced just yet but what's i guess what i'm looking for is what gives you the greatest sense of accomplishment and satisfaction in the role of a sales leader let's put it that way Uh, yeah i suppose just speaking from my own perspective i think what gives me the juice of doing the role and i've We've done this for a number of years now and in a number of different organizations. Personally, for me, it is seeing the growth of the careers of the people that I get an opportunity to work with. So I'm phenomenally lucky to see people, that company that I mentioned that I set up their US multinational HQ for, one of the hires that I made in there who came in as one of my initial six people is now the EMEA enablement leader for a pretty big SaaS company. Another one now is a senior manager in another pretty big SaaS company. Both guys, in fairness, came from Oracle initially. But seeing how the people mm. that I have had an opportunity to work with and how their careers have grown, and in every organization I've been blessed with, whether it was SDRs who then moved into sales, and then they were the SDRs with me, and they had to move into sales in another role, and they wanted to get into leadership. And I stay in touch with a lot of people. I'm so lucky that I have a kind of a vast network and to try and keep myself open and supportive to help people when they have questions or if they're thinking about jobs or they want some coaching or they have a particular issue I'm always there but for me if I think back to the last role I was in I was able to build a really strong team that delivered outstanding business results made a lot of fun doing it and that was through COVID so I had a virtual I had a physical team and then a fully virtual team and then a hybrid team but the team was a wider cross-functional team so it was made of compensation finance people operations talent acquisition obviously we had enablement right so the wider team marketing huge collaboration and just 
tight working alignment with the wider ecosystem because I say to the SDRs you go listen none of these results are possible without all of these other people who support us and help us to success so the fact that I was able to come in build all those relationships put that team in place build the structure to allow the SDRs to deliver those results delivered great results for the business great results for me and for the wider team that's what I get the most enjoyment out of that's what I love doing I love getting in and building a team just creating a I think back honestly it's I think back to when I was in Gateway and it was the it was a very young 20 year old growing up I had three and a half years probably the most fun I've ever had working in any company in my life I spent a couple of years in another company in Australia which was a lot of fun but I think back what was it about that we had great training we worked hard we delivered business results we had a lot of fun we had these phenomenal quarterly offsites that this sales director ended RCU's run and there was just a lot of fun and a great mm. career opportunity for growth I, I got an opportunity to become out to, to lead an enablement team for a year and so seeing me at that time, working in that company, getting those opportunities to grow my career have been the breadcrumbs that have got me to where I am today. So when I'm in a role, I always reflect back on that. And what was it about that? How can we create that going forward? Imagine you had remembered you'd invested in 2009, you'd bought yourself a few bitcoins and you've forgotten all about it. Now you've looked at it. Oh, there's a few, there's a few uh, million there. I, I want to know, I'd want I, to know the passphrase. <laughs> I, I, yeah, that's it. You do. You you found that you found the passphrase, yeah. and you decided that's it. I'm not going to work in the conventional sense anymore. Yeah. What would you do? What would you do with your time? I've had a, a I've had a mini version of that over the last couple of months, and obviously my kids are young, so they're ten and eight, so are quite involved with the with the kids and. and picking them up and dropping them off. When you've got kids, like mm. life goes on, regardless of whether you're working, not working, yep. right? The clock goes off at half seven and everyone has to go and do their week. I love, passion about cycling. I love traveling. Honestly, if kind of money was no object and my kids were set up and they, they were happy, I would definitely love to do a bit more traveling. I traveled a lot around Asia and Asia Pacific. I'd love to do South America, never been down that end. On the side, I would love to, I would be mentoring businesses, businesses that were looking to try and get fundraising, raise money, get from Series A to Series B or businesses that want to get. I'm a mentor with Enterprise Ireland, so I, I do that kind of in my spare time, get an opportunity to sit on some business pitches and then get to do some mentoring. So that's what I love doing. Your sound is gone, Paul. Your sound is gone, sorry. Okay, I think, am I back? Yep, you're back. Yep, just my battery died. Good job, I have a backup. All right. <laughs> what I was asking then was, if you were Minister for Education for, a, if you, sorry, if you were Minister for Education, what subject would you make mandatory on the school curriculum? Ooh. That is a good question. I think something that, and 
again, I just, I wonder, is it as you get older, these things resonate more with you? And if you had people learn about them when they were younger, would it stick as much? But I do think there is something hugely valuable in just learning about yourself. And what I mean by that is you do a simple disc profile, right? When you're in transition year and hey, am I D, am I C? And that tells me about myself. So I think learning about oneself, what your default way of being is, helps you then basically interact with other people. And that's a huge skill to have, regardless of whatever role you go in. So I think, and then on top of that, if there was a peace component around, whether it's Myers-Briggs or emotional intelligence, you think about Goldman and how they could bring that in earlier in your career, earlier in school. So whether it's like secondary school, and then as you would go into college, obviously you might major in a particular topic but on but there was as far as i'm aware and i haven't looked at the school curriculum i haven't seen anything like that on it right and that's something that's a journey you have to go on by yourself but i think if you could have that on the curriculum right that that could help you just develop as an individual and a person in a much much faster way Mm. it took me a long time to for me to figure that out about myself the earlier you can figure out who you are, what your natural tendencies are. Obviously, they do change over time and be mindful of that. But I think that help would help everybody learn how to communicate better, learn, you know, what another person's style is. And and that just, I mean, communication is key. Yeah. We were talking about AI earlier and you mentioned DISC. And this is the same for Myers-Briggs as well, by the way. And you would have probably studied that in the IMI. I know that's one of their favorite models is I, in ChatGPT earlier today, I said, I want you to assess my personality style according to the DISC model. Ask me as many questions as you need to get 95% certainty of my preferred style. Bang, and these are A, B, C, D, and it gives me all these scenarios that I have to pick. Just unbelievable. Wow. And of course you could continue that on, what does that mean in the context of working with a team, blah, 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 blah. I didn't go that far, yeah. but there you go. And, I, and, the, and by the way, that's going to be then, I won't say it's a bit another business out of business, but th- those companies who sell those profiles, there's no IP in that anymore for them any, yeah. at all. Now, they can still do some analysis and some consulting on the back end, but charging 500 quid a head to do a disk profile, gone. Frightening. Uh, Have you made a business? It's just so many. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Two very more quick questions, Dan, before I let you go. Desert Island, imagine you were stranded on a desert island. You don't know how long you're going to be there, but you can bring one thing, not a person, one thing with you. What would it be? One thing, a wing foil. A wing foil? Is that, (laughs) what is that? It's basically a surfboard that has yeah. that has a thing called a foil underneath it. And then you have a wing that basically would be powered by the wind. So it's not attached to the board. Currently learning how to wing foil. So it's stranded on a desert island. There's no time to practice. <laughs> I saw one of those in Selfridges in London, but it had a little, small little motor on the bottom of the, have, the, yeah, the that, wing that's down in the water. That is an e-foil, so electric operated so you know, we, that you, looked that looked real fun to me yeah that really did yeah. yeah wow okay all right that's your your plan your escape before you even get there nice <laughs> <laughs> uh, if your house is burning down and your family are safe if you have any pets they're safe your computer and phone are safe you've got time to run back in and grab one item what would it be oh god uh, what would i go in and grab 
our wedding photo album? Good answer. My kids are not going to be happy with that one. <laughs> no, but they'll get over it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll say no more on that subject whatsoever, yeah. but we both know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. I'm actually curious because I have had a final question, but there's a, something I want to insert into it. If you were to write a book, what would the book be about? The theme of the book would be about overcoming adversity. Right? So it would be about overcoming adversity because I, I think, you know, the world is the world out there, right? And I think we all, and that's something I try to really just teach my kids is dirt. You will get knocked. Things will not go your way. You won't get the result you want in, pro in your project, whatever it is, right? So that there's tons of stuff out there and it's how to deal with adversity, but then back yourself take it up and go again. And so it's now that you will be knocked and then just not letting that knock completely knock you. It's mm. just getting back up and going again and getting mm. knocked and getting up and going again. And for me personally, if I was to look at my my career on a bar chart, it would be up and down and up and down and up and down. And it's never goes, it's never gone straight up, horizontal for a while and then down and then back up. But if I look at it over mm. 25 years, the graph is up and I've been very fortunate. But there's been lots of challenges, lots of knocks, lots of sideways. And then where I've had to take stock and reassess and figure out, hey, what do I need to do? How do I get myself ready to t take advantage of the next opportunity that comes my way? And yeah, and I, I think if we, if we can teach our kids how to just overcome adversity, I think that's a life skill. To paraphrase Little Orphan Nanny, the sun will come out tomorrow, and if not tomorrow, then the next day. Indeed. Yeah. Very final question. If a book was, when your time on this planet is done and a book is written about your life, what would you like the title of it to be? Oh. Long-winded, but I get down and I, I get knocked down, but I get up again. It's the title of a song as well. <laughs> Can you sing it for us? I could, but I won't. But you're not going to. <laughs> that's a, I get knocked down. I need a few birds that one. one. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's a banging tune. My walk I on like music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's nice, and it fits with the adversity thing as well. Yeah. Daniel Desmond, thank you so much for being my guest today. Really appreciate it. Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to come and chat today. I really appreciate it.